0: We spend far too much time worried about what makes us different than the next person, or better than the next person, and not enough time thinking about why we should respect the next person. We all have a story, an overarching theme that runs through our lives and makes us who we are. The problem is, we think that since each of our stories is different, there's not a lot of perceived value or shared struggle. But we have far more in common than we can imagine, and what motivates one person can certainly help us as well. The Third Lap Podcast is about understanding, respecting, and appreciating the struggle that it takes to overcome immeasurable odds in order to reach your destiny. Join me as I interview and bond with some of the most inspiring and incredible people, diving into their why to get a full understanding of their being. Without each other, we have nothing. So let's go on this adventure together and take on the future with open minds and open hearts. Welcome to the Third Lap Podcast. All right, so I'm gonna just count us in. So three, two, one. What up, what up, what up? What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Third Lab Podcast, another episode of season two of the third lab podcast. I keep saying it because I'm proud. I can't lie. You know, in second year of, of this podcast. So it's something that I'm really proud of. So I'm gonna just keep talking it up. So bear with me. But um, yeah, second year bringing more excellent guests, more people for me to connect with and learn about, uh, and, and for you all to learn from in regards to their pathway to where they are and certainly where they're headed in the future. And so I have the opportunity today to connect with Reginald Benbow, change agent for Baltimore, former teacher. He's now pursuing a Maryland House of Delegates position. He's passionate about creating equity in healthcare and education. And last, but definitely not least, He's also a lifelong Trekkie. And so, uh, Reggie, how you doing today, man? How you feeling?
1: Hey, happy to be here. And now congratulations on season two of the third lap. Um, that's an accomplishment. Uh, and kudos to everything you're doing to bring awareness to topics and to show uh, showcase people such as myself. Um, so I'm just ready to talk about my journey uh, from the mean streets of East Baltimore to college. Yes, to working in corporate America, and now pursuing elected office.
0: Absolutely, and we will 100% get into that story for sure. And so quickly, how we know each other, I actually started following Reggie on social media, on Twitter. I saw a post of yours. I, I was trying to remember exactly what I saw that initially like attracted me to your account. I cannot remember, but it was something prolific, something really meaningful. And I was like, I like this guy right here. Let me follow him. Uh, and so I started following you on Twitter. I reached out to you because I've actually been looking for some folks either currently or, or in the process of pursuing becoming an elected official to join me on the podcast because I, I want to have folks learn about that story as well. It's something that I've thought about, um, something people have told me I'll probably would be really good at. I don't know where I am with that just yet, but, you know, I certainly wanted to have someone come on that was uh, fell in line with also like the ideology and the mission of the third lap, which you certainly did. And so I reached out to you uh, you were willing to come on the show we had a quick conversation little hiccup in the episode which was my fault but we're here now so we only gonna focus on the okay, positive we're here now <laughs> but um yeah so started following on twitter you followed me back uh, we've been kind of connecting and rocking ever since but yeah anything that you want to add about how we know each other
1: hey yeah and i just also know uh your current uh your former work at um kip philadelphia so yeah. a part of the a movement for educational equity, and I served as a teacher in Baltimore for three years. I take serve purposely because right. I think uh, teachers are such great uh, public servants. So, yeah. um, really, thanks you know for everything you do, especially on your social media platforms to draw attention to the fight for educational equity,
0: which absolutely is so important. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I spend pretty much every day fighting for that equity, (laughs) especially amongst (laughs) teachers and leaders. So yeah, that's an everyday thing for sure. And so Reggie, man, we are at the Rep Your Hood section. You already started the Rep Your Hood a little bit, but I want to give you the space to completely go for it. Rep Your Hood, man, where you coming from?
1: Yeah, so I'm coming from Northeast Baltimore, the bosom of creativity I live about. Uh, 10 minute walk from Morgan State University. So, nice. uh, go Bears and like you know, so many other people. I am born and raised in Baltimore, but I moved around a bit. So, I've lived at Northwest West, uh, but most of my time at Northeast uh, Baltimore. So, I always say Baltimore is the East Coast best kept secret. You know, many yeah. people have a Certain opinions shaped by The Wire and, and those other TV shows. <laughs> but, you know, don't be fooled. Um, if you haven't been, folks, you should definitely try to check it out.
0: So, uh, when I work for Selected Incorporated, shout out to Wayne Tam. We did a little bit of work in Baltimore, and that was the first time that I had been to the city in years, right? Like, we were going back and forth to D.C. all the time I was in D.C., uh, but that was really the first time I had been in Baltimore, I mean, in years, Um, and to your point, like, it was dope. Like, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I went, I visited Coppin State, um, and we did some work with their education program, and yeah, it was, I was like, wow, okay, okay you know, Baltimore, like Baltimore doing it. And I've been telling folks actually like, you know, cop some property in Baltimore, um, you know, really look at Baltimore as potentially a city to relocate. If you're looking to live in the East coast, but not pay an arm and a leg in DC prices or New York city prices, you know, there's a lot of upside to Baltimore. Um, And yeah, I'm a huge fan of the wire. So I would say that that probably uh, laid a lot of foundation in regards to how people see the city but also, you know, get out there and get a chance to see it yourself, folks. You know, Baltimore is really a beautiful city, um, especially if you're the seafood. They got some of the best seafood that you're going to get on the East Coast, for sure.
1: Yes, and and culture, um, and of course, you know, the other cities, you know, D.C. is definitely no longer the chocolate city, but Baltimore <laughs> is, and you just see that infused in the music, the dance, the culture. Yeah. We have so many, um, uh, ethnic cuisines we have an excellent uh, little italy greek town um excellent soul food um, excellent jamaican haitian communities as well so there's so much richness here
0: and growing up actually and so i'm dating myself but that's okay when we were in high school baltimore club music was big and so all the house parties we went to even some of the clubs in jersey that we would go to it was all baltimore club music and i'm like we was doing our footwork we was doing the percolator <laughs> we was getting busy man <laughs> we were getting yes. busy man so you know uh, again nothing nothing but love for baltimore reggie any other places that you've lived or worked that have been influential in your life or your career journey so far
1: Yes, and it's funny because I was just there two weeks ago for a friend's birthday, but I went to uh, undergrad at University of Virginia, so Charlottesville, Virginia, for sure. Most people probably know it from the unfortunate Unite the Right rally in August 2017, with the uh, neo-Nazis and KKK marching on on the campus of the university, and the woman who was murdered by one of the neo Nazis, and that, you know, scarred the city, but it's such a interesting place to be, a small town in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by the mountains in Virginia, you know, home of Thomas Jefferson, um, for better or for worse, Um, but so much history and and culture there, and I think I really learned, um, you know, especially at that university setting, the importance of Stability, but also standing yeah. up for what you believe in and coming into your identity. Um, and I also lived for a time in California, um, in both northern and southern California, and so um, living in you know a world-class city like Los Angeles was quite interesting to have access to you know, so many different people and cuisines and pe- the people who would move there with a hope and a dream. And, you know, actually I do quite a lot of people, you know, in the creative industries, you know, living out of their car, but trying to make it, you know, that spirit of Uh, entrepreneurship has really inspired me as well.
0: And one of the things that I was surprised about was Charlottesville. So I know Charlottesville because of the Cavaliers football and basketball. Like I I definitely don't know it because of, and also uh, that's Darden, right? Yes, The business school, yeah. Excellent business school. So great university as far as like academic sports. Eh, Not so much lately, but they've had their time. (laughs) It has ups (laughs) and downs for sure. Right, like they've had their times. But I was surprised because during the marches that you mentioned, I didn't know Charlottesville was as liberal of a city as it is. And so I was really like, hey, you know, like, I just assumed that it was a Republican city, really conservative, that made sense that they marched there. So talking to some people that went to UVA, they were like, not at all. Like, this is like the complete polar opposite of what the city stands for. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then I also understood why the white supremacists chose Charlottesville as the place to have those marches because it was like the polar opposite of what they stood for. So it made sense. So shout out to Charlottesville for sure. Yeah, I always thought it was so interesting between Los Angeles and New York, all of the people that make those great migrations to chase their dreams. Yes. And so few people actually make it. Right. Like it's it's tough to see because I know a lot of people in the arts and like they both New York City, Los Angeles, and a couple of them made it. Most of them still either trying to make it or like have abandoned ship and be like, listen, I'm going home, or brother, I'm gonna go start a family. Like, you know, yes. I'm, like, I'm moving on to the two of life right now. And so yeah, cool that you you had so many diverse experiences. But again, and I to love that it. uh yeah, But to that
1: point too, I was just thinking of I, as you probably know, like some folks I know who went out there to be actors, but that's what yeah. actors have to get familiar with makeup and so some actually transitioned yeah. into other things, being makeup artists and, right. and maybe having a steady stream of income that way and so yeah. I think you could just learn so many lessons, maybe uh, dreams, um, you reflect and then you adjust and, and maybe yeah. you pick out um, hey, how can I make it, but maybe in a different way than what I had imagined before and i think that's the importance of being able to, to pivot yeah. um and also like you know also hold fast to dreams yes. um as Lake St. hughes said because hey look at morgan freeman i mean he didn't yeah. become famous until he was what 80 years old so <laughs> 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 you, you never know
0: yeah, that's true, man. I, I wholeheartedly believe in that. Like, don't ever give up. But also pivoting is important, right? Like, I know people that were maybe actors that got into video production and video editing, or they became camera yes, people, exactly. right? Like, they learned other skills, to your point, that kept them relevant, and kept them paid until it was their chance to get in front of the camera. And some of them found that, like, they preferred to be behind the camera more than they did in front of it, right? So... Yeah you know, the film industry, TV, entertainment in general, such a wide sort of genre that you can pursue. There's so many different things that you can do there. But you know, what I was going to say is that I love that you had all of these experiences. You've been these different places, but you came back to Baltimore.
1: You're listening to the Third Lap Podcast with Mal Davis. Yeah.
0: That transitions us right into the meat of the podcast which is really my opportunity to turn this over to you and for us to learn more about reggie and his pathway to where he is and where he sees himself going in the future and so really feel free to start your, your story wherever you f- see fit i would say most people start probably you know high school going into college college going into finally working um but you know it's up to you i've had people start at 40 and work backwards i've had people start at being born and work forward. so, <laughs> so you know it's a <laughs> it's a wide array of places people start their origin stories so my brother where, where does your story begin
1: yeah i like to share a sen- a series of vignettes um and and thank you for mentioning that uh, and i really believe that in order to grow you have to leave home um but it was so important for me to return to baltimore because i felt uh, a sense of connection and belonging and also wanting to be a part of change in a place that desperately needs it. Hence, you know, why I launched my campaign, but because it happened recently, you know, we just celebrated the 20th anniversary of the um, 9-11 attacks. And so on September the 11th, of 2001, I was going to middle school, Lock Raven Academy, which is located a few miles north of Baltimore, Baltimore County. And if you're familiar, Baltimore County is a separate legal entity, a separate place than Baltimore City, but it basically surrounds the city on on three of the four sides. But it's kind of like that eight mile barrier that exists in Detroit. You know, once you cross that invisible line, the schools are better, the better outcomes, there's more tax revenues, you know, they're just Uh, better outcomes overall for everyone. And so I was going to middle school in Baltimore County, but I was actually living in Baltimore City. And so that was, you know, something illegal. And I think we saw in Ohio where mom was arrested and sent to jail for sending her child to a school that they weren't zoned for. Uh, But that was me. And my mother said, hey, we're going to use my friend's address and send you to this middle school because if you would have went to your zone school that ended up being shut down in 2007 by the way we knew it was you know just a off the hook unproductive school you know who knows where i would have ended up probably we wouldn't be having this conversation right now um and so of course in baltimore county the schools all caught you know the cheese bust the yellow bus the school but in baltimore city after uh, elementary school they used public transportation and me going there when I you know illegally I was catching the public transportation from home to the school which was about uh, a 30 minute bus ride and so I would have to wake up extremely early <laughs> at like six o'clock and make the bus by six thirty just to get there on time but on 9 11 it was like everyone was being like they were picking them up from school, you know, and so I was, like, expecting, you know, maybe my parents will pick me up, my mother will pick me up from school, too, but she never came, so I was like, uh, and then when I got on the bus to go home that day, like, I was so discombobulated, you know, seeing the trauma, you know, we were watching it unfold in the schoolroom that I accidentally caught the wrong bus, and I thought, like, hey, like, You know, I didn't know what was going on until, like, it just got to a point where I'm like, okay, I mean, I was 11 at the time where this doesn't look like my (laughs) neighborhood. And so I I told my situation to the bus driver, said I had, you know, get off at the right stop. They gave me a continuance, so I had to, like, backtrack and then catch the right bus. And so I ended up not, you know, school let out at 245. I didn't get home until six and everyone was worried and like, where was he? And of course this was the era before mass cell phones and all of that. So in addition to um, 9-11 happening, my you know, family was so concerned about where I was until I made it home and you know dialed up my mother and grandmother to let them know that, hey, I had made it back home. But having that experience of going to an out of zone school, uh, which I did for two years um, until at the very tail end of eighth grade, uh, my mother was finally able to afford an apartment in Baltimore County and so we moved you know to, to be you know legitimate residents in like April of the school year and then I started to catch you know the the school bus like everyone else but having that experience of being uh, going to school like that and knowing that I was you know getting a much better education than everyone that uh, was in my um, neighborhood where I live you know inspired me to fast forward um almost 10 years later in 2010, 2011, when I was deciding, what do I want to do after college? Um, And so, of course, when you're in college, you have a whole host of, you know, maybe you're pre-law, then you're pre-business, and then you're pre-med. So I kind of went through that transformation. When I first got there, you know, I thought that, hey, maybe I wanted to become an Um, and then I thought, oh, you know, maybe I want to go to law school. Um, and so that was kind of where I was for a few years. And I thought, you know, I really fell in love with um, Black Studies, Africana Studies, um, and politics as well. And I ended up writing my undergraduate thesis on Proposition 8 um, that um, passed in California in 2008. So the intersection of race, gender, sexuality, and politics. And I thought, you know, maybe I want to get a PhD. Um, and then I did a summer program, um, you know, a summer research program. I was like, uh, no, that's actually not what I want because it felt so far removed from the everyday lived experience of being, you know, a poor black and brown person trying to make a difference in the world, which was who I was. And so um, I wanted a job of greater purpose and meaning. And I had heard of Teach for America and had went to one of their information sessions over the years. And then uh, one of their recruiters reached out to me pretty early in my senior year of college and said, you know, you you, know, you really should consider Teach for America. And I thought, thought about it and went through their application process. And when it got down to the end, I said, I'll, you know, do it on one condition, I have to go back to Baltimore. And I really want to teach middle school. um, Because I felt like that was a critical age, where, as I even saw it from my own experience, you know, Elementary school, you know, in the fourth and fifth grade, especially like I did really well. But what I saw from my friends were that those who were kind of like on the upper trajectory in middle school ended up doing well and going to college. And those who weren't, they just sort of languished or got worse and worse as high school went on. And so I felt like middle school was that period where you either make a break, unfortunately. Um, it's sort of like the last chance to change. Uh, someone's trajectory um, because by the time you got to high school I feel like you know it's it's somewhat too late. Um, It requires a lot of intensive effort and so luckily you know got accepted into Teach for America and so didn't really have to worry about a job after November of my senior year because I knew I was going to do uh, teaching in Baltimore was just a matter of where and, you know, had my preference. Um, and I think many people get it confused. But once you get into Teach for America, like you're not an employee of Teach for America, you're an employee of the school system or the charter network that you that they're partners with. So I was going to be an employee of Baltimore City Public Schools. So I still had to get hired by my school that I was actually going to teach at. So you still had to do a round of interviews that spring. And I went on an interview and a school visit to the school called Academy for College and Career Exploration. And it started out as a high school. And then the year before, the year that I visited there, they added a sixth grade. And so this sixth through 12th grade model was becoming more and more popular, really as a cost savings measure. And so next year they were gonna have a sixth and seventh grade. Um, And so my job was gonna, Teach um, the sixth and seventh grade science if I got hired there, and so everything went well, and I took the offer. And so, in August twenty to twenty eleven, I started teaching middle school sixth and seventh grade science, um, which you know I totally didn't <laughs> study um, the biology or, or earth science. Um, in college i only took like one science class um but you know we had the curriculum had very little resources but i had a lot of grit and determination to make that happen um and then things you know for me at that moment came like full circle 10 years after you know my mother had you know Made it work so that we could use her friend's address as like now. Hey, I ended up as a Baltimore City, not Baltimore County, a middle school public teacher, um, and I really saw my mission and purpose as to how can I help to make sure that the children were on the right trajectory. And then slowly but surely, you know, of course, at that as it first began, I was very bright-eyed and. And, and mystified and thought, yeah, let's go change the world. And then I confronted some of the harsh realities that our children face. And like, I knew it, of course, you know, maybe some of them don't have utilities on at home, you know, like a lot of time. And it's not just because they were, you know, in middle school going through the puberty transition, but I'm like, okay, I'm like, hey, did you take a bath? And it's like, well, we don't have hot water running because we don't have electricity at home. Or, you know, I'm hungry because we don't have food at home. And, you know, that resulted in you know, behavioral issues, you know, there were clearly mental health issues. And so our students, through no fault of their own, the cause is poverty and, and systemic and structural issues that they were encountering. And it just made me realize that, hey, students are only in school for seven hours a day. You take away 30 minutes for lunch, then you take away another 20 minutes for class transition. They only really have six hours of instruction a day. So you mean to tell me what happens in six hours a day can combat what happens in the other 18 hours a day when they don't have instruction and when they're at home? for, you know, at least 17 hours of a, a day? Of course not. And it felt like what society was asking us to do was to, you know, work a miracle every year. And then you mean to tell me that they go home, you know, for two months and a, a couple of weeks every year for the summer break. And, you know, then you have summer learning laws. Um, and so as I got into my third year of teaching, I would kind of see that cycle repeat. It's like, even if we you know, did great work you know, over the summer when the students came back, because of course, since I was uh, teaching middle school and we had a sixth or 12th grade school, you could kind of see their progressions like, okay, um, yes, they got marginally better over time, but it wasn't really enough to really move the needle to where it needed to be. Um, And so even as a teacher, it felt like, you know, I was like a nurse in a hospital playing triage and, and really other things needed to take place. And so that got me thinking, you know, we really need to transform society. We really need to solve the root cause, which is poverty. And, you know, the bad, poor educational outcomes are really a symptom of poverty. But we were looking at it the other way around. Oh, you know, how does a student perform in this standardized test? Um, yeah, they should perform as well as somebody in a, in a district where they have million dollar homes. I'm like, that's not possible uh, because these inequities are baked into our society. So let's change the inequity. So I decided at that point that I wanted to leave the classroom. And quite frankly, I was getting to the point of burnout. And I decided, hey, I don't want to become the teacher where I on Disney movies <laughs> on every day. So uh, let me end on a high note, let me give this third year of teaching everything I've got and then let me go on to graduate school to really broaden my leadership outside of the classroom. And so at that point I decided that through business is where we could really make the difference, especially as Black people. I think we need to really look to building wealth in our communities. And I decided, you know, I had thought about maybe law school or policy school. But I said, you know, I want to go to business school to really equip myself with the skills to know how to run a business, um, probably working in corporate America for a bit, gain some skills, also build my bank account. I was a teacher it's not like I was able to save so realistically and I it's not like I come from oh, wealth um or privilege so you know let me build my bank account let me gain some new skills um and so I ended up going to the Duke Fuqua Duke School of Business and so moved from Baltimore to Durham, North Carolina which was really interesting experience, and I felt like, of course, for undergrad, I had lived in the South as well, but Durham really felt like living in the true South of where, you know, Charlottesville, because, you know, it's kind of like a unique place, a blue dot in the Red Sea, but Dorham was like, nope, it's not pretty, we don't have these special festivals, um, <laughs> uh, We do have an elite university too, but it's private and it's like very closed off the general population. And it's just very clear that we have this elite university and the hospital that's attached to it. And that's a a part of the city. And then most of the, especially, you know, workers and hourly workers and service job workers are black and brown folks who, who live in another part of the city. So it was kind of like another, you know, confirmation and shock to the system of, okay, yes, systemic inequities here too. Um, But I have a lot to learn from the business school. And so I took that experience um, and then decided to work in healthcare because one thing that I noticed too, um, you know, just as, A person growing up, it's like, wow, two of my grandparents, one only lived to be 53, another only lived to be 63. Um, And so, why are we dying early? Why do we have higher incidence of cancer and diabetes um, and obesity? And I think your your health is your wealth. Uh, And so, I was really inspired to work in healthcare. And so, first, I was an internal consultant for. Blue Shield and then Kaiser Permanente, and then I became a management consultant with Deloitte and now PricewaterhouseCoopers, um, helping life sciences, health plans, and healthcare providers, you know, improve their technologies, improve their operations so that they can deliver more um, efficient care, improve their quality, um, and really helpfully reinvest those costs. Uh, savings into patient care, and then you know I felt like I was on the good trajectory. Uh, 2020, my main client um, was a large healthcare provider in Indiana, and then COVID struck. And then we we already knew it, um, but COVID really exposed America's racial justice crisis and healthcare. We already had an education crisis, especially in urban and rural public schools, right. but then it made it just so much aware for everyone else. And so bam, education, healthcare, racial justice are on the front burner of the pages every day. We saw Ahmaud Arbery, yeah. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. And of yeah. course in 2015, I feel like Baltimore was the canary in the coal mine we had the incident of Freddie Gray, yeah. who was picked yeah. up off the street for loitering and his neck was broken on the sidewalk. of pride. So of course there was police misconduct and foul play there that resulted in his murder, the murder of so many others. And that really inspired me to say, who am I waiting for? Mm. Um, we need better elected representation. We need yeah. better public servants. Um, um, and quite frankly, I felt like I had lost some of the fight that I had when I became a teacher. Yes, I was serving on the boards. So I served on the board of reading partners. I volunteered with the Urban League. I volunteered with the band. So, you know, I was doing this board service and and volunteer work especially with education and healthcare causes, but that wasn't enough. I said, we have to get back to solving the systemic and structural inequalities that have made society so inequitable. So therefore, what's the best way to do that? Through public policy and by being in the arena. And where so much change happens is at the state legislature. People, you know, of course, the news media usually focuses on Congress, and or the city hall, the things that, you know, we hear about Biden, you hear about the mayor, but where most of the policy that's made that impacts us on the daily level happens is in the state house. And you see it, uh, Republicans across the state, uh, across the country, not just in Maryland have, you know, tried in in Maryland, you know, it was basically a a democratic uh, majority legislature, supermajority legislature, but, places like Pennsylvania, Texas, et cetera, passing these very restrictive voting laws to suppress the vote, passing laws to take away a woman's right to choose, uh, making it harder to give healthcare to all, blocking implementing the Affordable Care Act. And so I said, I need to go uh, to the state legislature so that we can help enact some change um, and in Maryland, although we shouldn't be just lulled into a sense of false uh, complacency just because it's uh, democratic control. There's so much work to do. Um, this is the richest uh, state per capita uh, in the nation. Of course, we have some of the, the wealthiest cities and suburbs like Rockville, Howard County, Columbia, um, you know, we know Prince George's County is sort of the, the wealthiest county with the majority of Black population. But then we have some of the poorest zip codes as well in Baltimore City on the Eastern shore. Um, and so we really need to change the way education is funded to not just divide up resources evenly, but to divide them equitably, to send them to where they're needed. We still need to expand healthcare Access, we still need to make it so that those who are incarcerated can re-enter society and become productive citizens again. And we need to hold police accountable. And one of the ideas that I have is let's make a police misconduct registry publicly available, searchable on the internet. So that if an officer, you know, has an incident is logged publicly, that'll cut down on the number of incidents and hold people accountable and make it so that, hey, if they try to get hired in another jurisdiction, then that information is out there. And we need that to happen at the national level as well. But as you can see, it's so hard to get things done in Washington. So we need to do everything we can at the state level. I still think about you know, it is funny because it's basically 20 years later, you know, to to go back to where I started, you know, 20 years ago in the seventh grade, having, you know, our world sort of be shattered on 9-11. And then 10 years later, starting my career as a teacher. And now 10 years later after that, starting this campaign for the state legislature, I'm like, okay. You know, where was I 20 years ago, 10 years ago? So it's been um, a fun
0: journey. Hey, everybody. So I have some really exciting news. The Third Lab podcast is actually expanding. And so I'm in the process of putting together a co-author book called The Third Lab transformational stories of life experiences that make us better and this is a great opportunity for anyone that's looking to get published for the first time or if you've been published before this is a great opportunity to well not have to write a whole book yourself and so if you're interested in learning more about the product the program the opportunity feel free to reach out to me at maldavis21 at gmail.com or feel free to reach out to me through the socials for the third lap really excited about this program, really excited about this opportunity and really excited for you all to come and join me. So again, if you have any questions, want to learn more, feel free to reach out to me at any time. Each one, teach one. We all learn together. Peace. man, I, I love everything that you you just spoke about. We have a lot to unpack here. So first, I want to start with a moment of silence for all of the folks that we lost in nine eleven. um all of the emergency responders that we still continue to lose from the residual effects of cancer. And all the other things that have happened um in regards to like mental health crises of seeing all of those people pass away so just want to take an opportunity here just to have a moment of silence for all of those folks and again our thoughts prayers uh feelings emotions are with those families that have had to really get to the other side of that and i was yes. in jersey when 9 11 happened so i knew people who lost friend fam- lost family members lost friends um we actually where we lived in new jersey we were able to look across the river right at the city and you couldn't you couldn't see the buildings man right like you know it doesn't get any more real than that um and so you know I think that collectively across the country this had a humongous impact on how we move forward for sure but also I would say like to the people that I know from South Orange Maplewood, Essex County, New York City that really had to kind of see that stuff firsthand um it was it was it was deep 20 years, fast forward, you know, we're still kind of dealing with some of these things and the residual effects of some of the policy that came out of that, that ultimately was used to fight domestic terrorism and global terrorism, but has also been used against us in the hands of the police and things of that yes, nature. Exactly. So, you know, the police. exactly. Right. And so when you mentioned, you know, that public registry or public database, I'm like, yes, sir, we need it. We need it. Right. Because accountability is the thing that I feel as though so many folks are trying to run run from, right? Like people equate cancel culture to this negative thing. But in my opinion, cancel culture is called accountability. And really, there's nowhere in life you aren't held accountable for your actions. And so, you know, that public registry, I, I, I love it. Wanted to go back to the TFA. So I actually applied the TFA, made it to the final round. They did not choose me. I was super salty. Uh, I was really mad because I was actually looking at moving to the indigenous people's um, reservation. So they gave priority to folks that wanted to teach on reservations. And I saw that as a great opportunity to learn more about the indigenous peoples of America, man. Like, you know, I've always yeah. had such a, a high regard for them, always saw their plight of like the trail of tears and just how they were eradicated systematically in this country and sort of replaced by Europeans, uh, as one of the greatest, travesties that has happened on this globe but it's not really talked about right and so didn't get chosen but i've been able to work with tfa i can we hired a ton of tfa folks um i've worked with tfa all across the country and, and can so, we
1: speak about the inequities especially uh, um of course in in the hiring process and i've seen it happen to you know over the years you know as a alumnus you know recommending so many people for tfa and many of them not getting selected and you know unfortunately many of them happen to be black and brown men and women i feel like they've taken steps i'm like okay so who are you encouraging and sponsoring to go into communities um it shouldn't just be uh you know of course, they had a certain profile, the Ivy League education and those who came from privilege. And I'm like, this is just reinforcing the inequities that we have. Um, So you need, um, even when I think I taught, uh, I was the the 2011 Baltimore Corps, you know, we had fewer than 20 Black uh, core members out wow. of 200 in a city wow. where the student population is uh 80% black,
0: right? So- yeah, that part, and and you know, the more I had gotten to learn about TFA. The more I was sort of kind of beefing with them at that point, because I realized that that was a lot what was happening, right, is they were recruiting from Ivy League institutions, really high-performing institutions like Duke, like UVA, but weren't necessarily looking at HBCUs, weren't necessarily looking at Hispanic-serving institutions, weren't looking at places where there was like a hub of really good BIPOC educators that they just kind of turned away from it. So I can say now they do a much better job, like having worked really closely with TFA here in Philadelphia, um, TFA out in in, uh, Massachusetts, TFA in Baltimore. Like they're having these really, TFA in New York City, like they're having really good conversations about how to identify, bring in, hire, or get hired, I should say more teachers of color, because most of the cities where they work are urban cities and most of the placements are urban schools whether they be public schools or charter so they're they're doing some work um, but holistically overall like education has to make a humongous transition towards equity because right now we're talking in a country that you know minorities continue to uptick and like the majority caucasian population continues to downtick educators teachers are still 90 plus percent Caucasian across the country right you know even here in the state of Pennsylvania we're talking 94 um, percent and in the, Phili- in the city of Philadelphia over 90 percent where the student population uh, is is drifting towards about half and half so a lot of work needs to be done there and I think you'd hit the nail on the head which was around policy right like you talked about how you know this pandemic the coronavirus, did so much, but what it really did was highlight the inequities of our systems that we have in place that, you know, it Black exposed people it. so much, right, for education, you know, kids unable to access Wi-Fi, kids unable to access the resources and food that they need. Um, to healthcare, people can't get to hospitals, how many places where black people were like the, the dominant demographic didn't have access to hospitals that had the resources that they need, they didn't have the machines that they needed. They didn't they we were last to get vaccinated, right. And so, yeah. you know, I we think talk that, about
1: food deserts, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have healthcare deserts. Yeah. And disparities um and you look at the number of hospital beds, um and predominantly african-american areas versus you know other you you look at the number of primary care providers i mean it just goes on down the line and i'm so glad you mentioned digital equity that's something that's also a big part of my platform and i have a bone to pick with Um, The number one company in in your city, Comcast, because, you know, they're the only ISP, you know, internet service provider in Baltimore, and they have a monopoly. Um, And it's, you know, really chokes out people being able to afford internet access. Um, And we have to solve the device gap. Um, Yes. You know, families, especially lower income, lack the devices and definitely lack high speed internet access.
0: Yeah. 100%, 100%, you know, and you talk about the the monopoly that exists, you know, we're, we're not talking about the housing, you know, people getting evicted in the middle of a pandemic, um, people getting laid off and then expe- expected to come back to work in the middle of a pandemic. And so, you know, there are all of these places that I feel as though we as a country need to address, but you name quite a few areas that, you know, you're sort of looking at advancing and really addressing, you know, as you run for office. And so, you know, you you really walked us through your history. Uh, Fuqua is a heck of a business school. I actually went and visited Duke uh, when I was in high school and I went into the orientation. And when I tell you, there was about three black folks in there and the other 200 people were white. Hey, and I turned, I looked at my mom and she was looking at me. She was like, I know I ain't applied to Duke. I ain't had no interest in Duke after yeah. that. Like it was a wrap, <laughs> you know, Wake Forest, Duke, UNC, that triangle right there, man. Excellent institutions. But I think what you said is that you still see how the, the people of color in those areas, despite having these great schools are still marginalized, right? Oh, you know, yeah. I think of Columbia exactly. university, like they have no relationship with you know the the community, Temple University has really struggled to create a bond and a relationship with North Philadelphia, and so you know this is something that's ongoing. But in regards to you and public office you know, what are you really looking to accomplish for your city? As you say you're a change agent, I think that change agent can be used as an umbrella to really define or or to um, encompass a lot of different things. But specifically for you, you know, when you're elected, because we're going to talk it out. So when you are elected, you know, what are the things that you're looking to bring to your city, bring to your state to make sure that children that are growing up in the city don't have to. Their parents don't have to risk going to jail to send them to Baltimore County. And last piece, when I realized that Baltimore County annexed out the city of Baltimore, that made me more angry than I probably have ever been because I didn't realize it. And I was looking at a map of the city, talking to my ex, uh, talking to my old boss uh, Wayne Tam, and we're looking at the map and we see Baltimore City, and then we see this huge triangle, uh, rectangle around Baltimore City, which yep. is Baltimore County. And we both kind of looked at each other like, "Wait, hold on, man." Like what happened right here? And no one had an answer. You know, nobody that we talked to really had like a real reason. It just was what it was. It's how we do business here. And I'm like, listen, when the county was willing to annex out the city and the city had the port, that told you everything you needed to know that they were willing to lose whatever wealth might come from that port to be able to annex out all these black people and brown people. Um, That to me, I was like, yo, we got to do work in Baltimore, man. Because clearly, clearly, clearly they were left for dead. Um, and so, you know, I would love to hear as a man that has come back to Baltimore, represents Baltimore, hard body. What are you looking to bring to your city, bring to your state that may be different than some of the other elected officials that have come before you?
1: Yes, and so we will claim it because uh, we're looking forward to June 28th, 2022 yes, and November 8th, 2022. So what I feel is unique about me as I laid out is my experiences. I know we didn't really discuss it, but my father spent nine years in jail. I was, you know, raised by a single mother. Um, I still went on to become the first person in my family to graduate from college and later a uh, graduate school. So I have a story of overcoming obstacles, and you have to look at your the lived experience of your potential elected officials, and so it's a story of triumph. It's a story of doing what needs to be done and working to improve the community because even those who have my experiences have moved on and have, may have moved to D.C. or, or New York or Chicago and, and never looked back, but I came back because I feel like Baltimore you know, created me, essentially, and I want to expand opportunities for others. And it's specifically in three areas, and as a state delegate, my top priorities will be racial justice, uh, digital equity, and health equity. And so in terms of of racial justice, uh, this is where I want to advocate for the police misconduct registry and also for better re-entry programs for those who are formerly incarcerated. And also, as Maryland considers to legalize marijuana, we need to make sure that we have a reparations program set into place that a certain amount of the tax revenues generated from the sale of cannabis go to the zip codes uh, that had the most people convicted for marijuana offenses when it was illegal. Um, And also that a certain proportion of the growers and sellers are reserved yeah. to be minority and women-owned businesses i love it um racial justice needs to have economic teeth behind it i love it uh, yeah in terms of digital equity what we need in my opinion is a public-private partnership to expand the number of of internet service providers you know for some reason Verizon, Fios wasn't allowed to come into Baltimore City. Of course, that had to do with the fact that Comcast is in the pockets. And if you look at who Comcast has donated to, people who are a lot of political incumbents in Baltimore. So we have to allow uh, at and Verizon to come in and create more competition for Baltimore. Um, we have to use partnerships Google, uh, Dell, and other companies to give every child in Baltimore City a device that they can use at home, point blank, period. If we are silly and think that education is going to return 100% to be classroom in person only, that's a farce. And it's a disservice to our children because we need to make sure that they're prepared for the digital jobs of the future. And I want to expand. Programs at community college that community colleges to teach people how to use Word, how to use PowerPoint, how to make a spreadsheet with Excel, how to use the Google suite of products. Because as you know, if you don't have digital skills, it's very hard to be employable, um, and that's hurting so many in our community. And then thirdly, in in terms of health equity, hey. I, it kind of seems like the buzzword of, of the moment, but mental and behavioral health. We need to expand mental and behavioral health. If it's one thing that has resulted from the pandemic is that we are in a mental and behavioral health crisis. And we can use telehealth to get mental health services to everybody where they are. Um, And this will help serve the issue with the number of providers because, hey, if you're, you know, based anywhere around the world, we can just beam you in to somebody to have a counseling appointment with them via smartphone or computer. Um, And so we need the state to invest in that. And I think this ties into all of it, but my number one overall priority is fighting for universal pre-K. I have participated in a lot of government programs that helped to shape me from Head Start to Upward Down. But I really think it was having that Head Start as a three and four year old, having a pre-K before kindergarten, which really helped to put me on the path to success. Um, And studies have shown when students have you know, education at at three years or four years old, it really puts them on a path to success, helps to close the gaps in the number of words that they know, helps to expose them to different things. So um, right now um, across the state and in Baltimore City, pre-K is basically um, based on availability because there's just a limited number of spots and then it's not frequently all day. So we need universal full day. Uh, for everyone. So of course, you know that um, this is in the Build Back Better agenda from Joe Biden, but we don't know. Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin are being pains in the behind. So we don't know if that can pass at the national level. I hope it does. But if it doesn't, we have to pass that at the state level.
0: Yeah, and Free the homies, man. Retroactively free the homies. Yes, exactly. How are Expunge we having? Records. Come on, bro. How is we being legalized and recreational, and people still sitting in prison, yes, and state jails yes. and fed for marijuana offenses, right? How is that? How is it, it, that possible? It's the
1: height of hypocrisy, and that's it why is. I say that this is a racial justice crisis. Why are black men? and yeah. black families being so disproportionately impacted right um you know if they had you know uh, a tenth of an ounce and all of that craziness yeah. they're sitting behind bars but if you had the same amount of cocaine you're
0: free walking <laughs> around um, free to this day
1: yes and why is it that oh now we have the opioid crisis why because yeah. that's you know mostly white folks taken Prescription drugs and fentanyl and yep. and and uh, crystal meth. Um, so that's treated as a public health crisis. Yes. but You know, crack cocaine Ooh. and weed was treated as uh, a crime issue. Yeah. So we have to have a total transformation.
0: And it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, shout outs to my cousin Ronnie. Cousin Ronnie Sills. We were talking about that yesterday, and that's exactly what I said. I was like, you know, with the opioid crisis. It's a mental health issue. Like, you know, yeah, we're exactly. trying to find more opportunities it's and addiction. better funding. right? Let's treat addiction no matter right. what it is. No matter what it is versus, like you said, weed and crack, tougher on crime, harsher punishments. We brought back the RICO law to fight crack cocaine, right? That was used, for the, that was used for the mafia. Three strikes, you are out. And come on, man. And so free the homies. Everybody know how I feel about that. Free the homies, man. Get them out of here. You know, and even what you said about the, not just freeing the homies, but having a space for them to better re-enter society uh, and better acclimate themselves to a world that for better or worse, left them behind, right? You know, I think that like there's, especially with the uptick in technology that we have a lot of people sitting up 10, 20 years that are going to come home to a society that looks drastically different. And so, are we just gonna plant them right back where they came from with no resources, no help? Or are we gonna have reentry programs that give them job training, that you know allow them the opportunity to um, have access to mental health? And I love what you said about telehealth. What are we doing to um, bring back families, right? And like have these, these family therapy sessions because we have damaged children and, and damaged families. Oh, my Lord. Children's Trauma. Is not trauma, all of those things. And you mentioned it with your students, right? You know, we have our urban students, our kids in the hood living through trauma every single day. And we keep telling them that education is the passport, right? Well, when Malcolm X said that it was, it was in a, a grander context. It wasn't just a specific piece. We were leaving the out the context, right? Exactly. And so, you know, definitely free the homies. Um, and you know, the digital access is a hundred percent important as well. We saw that here in Philadelphia, Now, I don't understand how we have antitrust laws, but then we have only one ISP, like internet service provider per city. Those things don't make sense. And it's a lot of what you said, whose pockets are being lined, and who's benefiting from only having one group there. And so Reggie, you know, I'm super excited. And as you continue to get closer to the time for voting um, and time for people getting out there. I'm going to continue to have you back on the show, have other folks on the show, just to continue to raise awareness because I want to do everything I can to get you in office, my brother, because I feel like we, you need so you. Much. Yes. we need you in there. We need folks like you in there that are that are really repping the city, really un- really understand the plight of the people so that you can go in there and work harder, advocate for folks that look like us. Um, it's 100% needed as we make this transition from the old regime to the people that are coming in here to do the work. Hey, so... I'm really excited to announce the first ever advertiser for the Third that podcast, and of course, it's the homie Teddy Gandhi and his team from Blacks Apparel. Blacks is a clothing company that focuses on Black reality, both past and present. They share daily Blacks or Black facts, quotes, and content regarding Black reality through their social media. So stop by the store at Blacks.com. That's B-L-A-C-T-S.com to check out the Blacks basic tees and all of their inventory. Blacks also uses its platform to collaborate with local artists, so keep an eye out for their limited edition tees and apparel. Make sure to use the promo code third lap for 10% off your first purchase. I mean really what you waiting for? Get the Blacks.com third lap for 10% off your first purchase. Support the homie Teddy support the podcast. Let's go. And so, you know, you you were able to walk us through your platform and the things that you're advocating for. I, I'm 100% on board. I absolutely love it. But what is your motivation, man? So we're at like the why. You could, you worked in corporate America. You transitioned, you, you left Baltimore. You know, you could be living anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. You could be doing anything, right? Under the sun, making $500,000, a million dollars a year, man, doing anything, brother. And so, you know, why have you decided to, transition not only back to your city but into policy and into a realm that is 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 diabolical in a lot of ways right and has historically worked against people that look like you in order to keep a certain ideological thought process in place that has ultimately been the undoing of of black and brown people in this country so you know why why do you do what you do Uh, why are you so passionate about these things
1: (sighs) Thank you for that question, and it's certainly not financial (laughs) motivation, so, you know, I'll just keep it real. Already, you know, I'm losing, you know, I'm now committed to the campaign. I'm losing out on my salary, so, you know, thousands of dollars, you know, depleting my savings because I wholeheartedly believe in this, is that if we don't have the right people in office, if we keep. Doing the same things and keep reelecting the same people—that's the definition of insanity—and <laughs> it it has to stop with someone. And I really took it to heart when Barack Obama said, "You know, we are the ones we've been waiting for." And I don't want to go to Annapolis forever. I don't want to be a career politician. You know, you can't really accomplish everything in one term. So for me, it's getting there, serve you know, two terms max, that's eight years, hell, if I can't accomplish what I need to accomplish in eight years, then I probably need to get out of there. I hate when people say, yeah, just keep re-electing me and re-electing me. Why? Like the current incumbents, they've been in office, uh, one of them since 1982, one of them since 1992. What do we have to show for it? Hardly nothing. And so if you're not there to you know, cause a little friction, um, get stuff done. Do you need to move out the way? And so, uh, the same way that I came in to the classroom, you know, gave it my all, or myself to the bone, but also got out when I knew that I would probably like no longer be effective. That's what I want to do in politics. Um, I I can't leave it to anyone else. I can't. Say yeah, who else is gonna run? I, I have to do it myself. We have to take ownership. And I encourage everyone to think about, you know what is your lane and how do you wanna play it? You know, And we need, quite frankly, I have these conversations with my friends all, with, all of the time. Like how can we as black and brown people, people interested in change build power? Well, you can't do it on the sidelines. You actually have to pursue power you you have to be in the arena and hey, for everyone, it's not politics. Um, for many of us, it needs to be entrepreneurship. We have to start more businesses. We have to start more media outlets um, as you're doing to get our message out there. If we only um, listen to the mainstream media, we're only going to hear that certain mainstream narrative that doesn't serve us. And we have to open our eyes and get out there and pursue more elected office, especially at the state and local level. It's you know, disheartening that the national news receives so much attention because I think it's easy to talk about. But I would just encourage everyone to plug into what's happening at the state level um, and the local level as well, because that's where you can Really um, make a difference. And yes, I already have seen so far how it can be really grimy, you know, really backbiting, you know, negative in a way. But a big part of this uh, running for office is also just getting out and talking to people, knocking on doors. And so it's not rocket science, but you just have to pound the pavement, pound the phone. And get some support so we can do it uh step by step with just you know some good old effort
0: listen can't go wrong with effort and hard work if anybody knows anything about malcolm i talk that all the time right it's like you know and i think that hard work has become caught up in the like uh white supremacy movement and jargon like professionalism and some of these oh yes exactly you know and like you know I, i don't want to say hard work from that standpoint but I do believe in hard work. Right. Like I do believe in giving some effort, getting your elbows dirty, getting your hands dirty, getting the work and getting in the mix. And so to your point, yeah, we can't stand on the sideline. Right. Like you don't win. A, not everybody could win a championship being on the bench. Right. You know, everybody has a role and everybody has a purpose. You know, sometimes you are just the support network. Sometimes you're the person out in front like yourself. But, you know, know your purpose, know your vision, know your role, and give 100% to that capacity. Um, And so, you know, Reggie, it's just been great learning more about you, man. And, you know, learning more about your story. I hope that someone hears this or multiple people hear this, and see a pathway for themselves to where you are, right? Whether they're a kid coming up, whether they're a professional right now saying, hey, man, I've been thinking about a transition, whatever it may be, like your story is going to impact so many people. And again, like I said, as you continue to get closer to these times where folks got to get out and vote for you, we're going to keep having you on the third lap. We're going to keep doing these things because, you know, I, I wholeheartedly believe that this is how I give, right? Like, I, I can't vote for you, but I could damn sure give you a platform to keep talking, my brother. And they can't shut me up, right? Like, you know, I'm not mainstream media, so they can't tell me what to do over here. So we're gonna have some good times on this one, man. But, um, you know, thank you again for sharing your why and sharing that vision of, you know what ultimately keeps you pushing to create these equitable solutions for communities that look like you and, and that you were actually a part of, which is amazing. And so we're at the uh, motivational thoughts for the people. So this is two to three minutes of just you really, and I love, again, I always say this, I love, I love, I love when I connect with educators, because when, they, when I say stamp the light, like stamp the knowledge, they know what that means, right? And so yes. what do you want the folks that have heard this show, say they just only for whatever reason, tune into these next two to three minutes. What do you want them to know about you and your message? And like, what motivational sort of like thoughts would you want to share with them?
1: First, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and for the conversation. This has been excellent. I want them to know just one key thing. You have to think about your destiny. So when I was a teacher, I had a big sign a poster that I made that said, "You control who you are and what you can become," and I really believe that. I think that we each have a destiny, and you just have to embrace it. And one thing that I've been working on myself is letting go of fear. Um, and I know, you know, it sounds like maybe cliche or silly, but I think fear holds us back from taking risks. Fear also prevents us from fully embracing our destiny, like, hey, I'm human, I'm going to tell you, I thought about, wow, what if I invest so much into this, and I don't win, you know, then I'll kind of be, uh, I may be embarrassed, Um, and then I had to realize, like, well, that's, fear is preventing me from fully embracing my destiny, because it's allowing me to say, oh, you know, I can just, give it a shot, you know, I'm trying, but then you end up not going all out for it. And so I had to do some internal coaching on myself last week of like, like get it together, fully embrace it and um, pursue it. And so that has really helped to encourage me. Um, And so I want people to know that, hey, I'm a progressive change agent for Baltimore committed to racial, digital health and educational equity. I grew up in the same uh, neighborhood and still live here, you know, 30 something years later because I really believe in our collective and shared destiny um, that a place like Baltimore that has been written off, well, we can come back and we can do better. Um, and we're better than our current outcomes. And so when I take office um, officially in 2023, I'm going to work myself to the bone in order to get us the equity solutions that we need.
0: Absolutely, my brother. And so, do you have any book suggestions? So, the Third Lap podcast, I always ask folks if they what are they reading currently? What, what do they read in the future? What would they suggest in regards to reading? But then also I've expanded this to multimedia. So are there shows that you watch, movies, anything that brings you joy that you think the listeners could really gain joy from as well?
1: Yes, so my book recommendation and I'm holding it now is- So you're
0: reaching for it. <laughs>
1: is the Nickel Boys uh, by Colson Whitehead. I, I think it won some type of award, but it is an excellent- novel um, that speaks to racial um, inequity as well as hope as well and so I read this is a what if I could to myself I read at least one book a month and you know yeah. I, whether it's just like 10 pages a night to get me through the book um, just to you know stay current and so I highly uh, recommend the Nickel Boys. And then in terms of uh, television, you know, you introduced me as a huge Trekkie, um, (laughs) of course, so excited that William Shatner went to space, you know, at 90 years old. Um, of course, the, the whole idea of like a Blue Origin and, and Virgin Galactic are very problematic. You know, the, the billionaires with these val- very phallic looking spaceships, yeah. but.
0: Very phallic <laughs> <I'm> gonna, looking.
1: <laughs> yes. I'm going to be happy for uh, William Shatner, and I encourage people to watch one Star Trek episode. It's called okay. uh, Far Beyond the Stars. And it's. Um, Star Trek Deep Space 9 which featured Captain Benjamin Cisco um, and that episode actually speaks to the idea of destiny and hmm. it's you know the basic premise is that these aliens send uh, a vision to Captain Cisco but it's a false vision and it tries to knock him off his path hmm. but he has to to overcome that false vision so I tell people that is one of the best episodes of Star Trek and television, far beyond the stars. So I know you, you're not going to watch all 800 episodes like me. So if you only watch one, you can watch that. and You don't really have to know anything about Star Trek because it's very combined. That episode.
0: Awesome, man. Awesome. Thank you for the suggestion. I'm actually go check it out. My dad was in the Star Trek. I never really got into it, but that sounds right up my alley as far as like entertainment wise. Um, You know, there's always going to be things trying to knock you off your destiny. Right. And I, I wanted to tell you. You know, I know you got your network of friends. I know you got people that you talk to on a regular basis. But whenever you're feeling like I'm unsure, man, call me up, man. We're going to talk. I'm going to get you right, man. I'm going to lift that your sure will. back up, my brother, because, you know, I-, I got you, bro. I got you, for real. I mean that. Because, you know, we all go through that, and I think it's important that and all my homies know they can hit me, and I'm going to be like, nah, what? Like, let's talk through that, man. Like, listen, this two shot, how are you all feeling this whole past? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Oh, you have they to have people who can on aren't yes, sir. Yes, sir. And that Baltimore accent just came out, my boy. Yeah. I heard it. <laughs> that R sharp as R. I'm like, there it is. I heard it. <laughs> you know,
1: certainly, I really, you know, I don't necessarily have a full Baltimore accent, but it comes
0: yeah. out with certain words. Yeah, certain yeah. Words. That's like me in Philly, man. Certain words, I say it, but I like, there it is. You sound New York 95% of the time, but I heard it right there. And, and so, uh, you know, as we get to the end of the episode here, Reggie, again, I appreciate you running this live with me, man. This was just so amazing, Um, being able to learn more about you and your story and what you are looking to bring to Annapolis and and to your city of Baltimore. And I'm so excited for you and so excited for the next eight years, because we're gonna talk it all up, right? Like you're getting elected, you getting a second term and in those eight years, you're gonna be able to transform your city into what you envision along with other folks that, you know, have similar visions for this work as well. And so, you know, as we get here to the end, if people want to connect with you on social media, learn more about your platform, learn more about you in general, be able to donate and support, how do they go go about doing so?
1: Well, really appreciate that plug. So I have made it very simple. It's just Reginald Benbow, uh, and that's B-E-N-B-O-W.com at Twitter, just Reginald Benbow on Instagram, Reginald Benbow on Facebook, Reginald Benbow is all simple um, to make it easy to find, um, as well as on Medium, um, but very active on the website, reginaldbenbow.com, Twitter at Reginald Benbow, um, and even LinkedIn, Reginald Benbow. So I like to, you know, stay connected um, on various ways. Um, And I post, you know, a fair amount of stories uh, on Instagram. So you'll you know, uh, see uh, Star Trek stuff, you'll see politics stuff, you'll see a lot of different gems.
0: Yeah, folks, follow this brother, go to the website support if you live in Baltimore, if you live in Maryland, get out there and vote, support this man. You know, if you have family and friends out there, share this episode with them so that they get an idea of who he is as a person, right? Because you know, to your point, and I love what you said earlier, and I didn't really get a chance to like circle back to it until now. But who is the person you're electing as a person? Because that's who they'll be when they get into that elected office, right? Like a lot of times we're looking at the, these corporate C, former CEOs. We're looking at people that have made millions of dollars. We're looking at people that have never really invested in a the community. They they never really served before in a real capacity. Um, a lot of them silver spoon babies. They were provided yes. opportunity after opportunity. Well, what do you think they're gonna do when they get elected, bro? they're going to keep pushing forward the same agenda. And like you said, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different outcome. And so if we're electing the same types of people over and over, and there's a whole conversation that needs to be had about term limits and all of these things, but you know, if we're, if we're electing the same people over and over again, how do we expect anything to change within the the infrastructure and, and within the confines of the United States? It just won't. Right. And so You know, get out here. Also be agents of change by leveraging your vote. Voting is important. Voting matters. You know, I think the Republican Party, the GOP, Donald Trump, did a really excellent job of a smear campaign of voting and making it seem as though your vote doesn't count. And no matter what, they're going to cheat and take the election and blase blase. Don't fall for the hype. You know, I am not a part of the media machine as Reggie said, I'm here to tell you your individual vote matters and collectively our votes can change the world can change the United States get out there and vote Um, and so Reggie we made it you've earned your third lap my man congratulations. I appreciate you. So excited for you to get elected and be like, y'all know that brother, I had him on the show. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And
1: and we have to bring each other along because I feel like there's like, you know, can tend to be like a, you know, transactional relationship, but our success is tied up. Um, So, hey, I'm going to highlight you. I'm going to showcase you. I'm going to promote you now and in the future and not just say oh yeah let me just go with you know the baltimore sun now and all of that craziness (laughs) because we have to uh, promote our own and those who share our values and that's such a great point about authenticity and looking at the experience like Corey bush out of st louis excellent woman and you see she's You know, her lived experience as a single mother who was homeless at one point, a Mm. nurse who, um, and now she's bringing all of that experience to Congress and she's the one who slipped out on the steps in August and and, and forced Biden to extend the um, eviction moratorium until the Supreme Court overturned it, but it's because Of of her experience. So pay attention, people. And I feel like, you know, people think, oh, I need to research all the candidates and all of that. Like, no, like, it's not rocket science. You just need to go in there and vote. Right.
0: Right. Absolutely, man. Um, Trust in the process, trust in the system. It's the only system we have. (laughs) So, you know, until we create a different system, we're going to have to figure out how to work this thing and make it happen for us. And by us, I mean, black people, I mean, people of color, you know, folks that have been systemically marginalized throughout history. Um, you know, we, we couldn't always vote. People literally died for this opportunity for us to be able to leverage this. You know, as a person, I didn't always vote, but at this point, Thankfully, you know, my wife, you know, she's been on my neck about it. Like, Malcolm, you got to do more. Don't talk about it. Go out here and do it. So shout out to Alice. Everybody know how I feel about her, though. Um, But yeah, shout out to my wife for always encouraging me. My mom, too. Uh, My dad took me to go vote. I thought we was buying sneakers one day years ago when I was a little kid. He would take me randomly to go cop sneakers. He was like, yeah, come with me. We're going out. He wouldn't tell me where we're going. He took me to go vote. And I never forgot that, man. I was maybe like 10 or 11 years old. And so, you know, it's important to get out here and and exercise and leverage that right that we did not always have. And so Reggie, you know, we are at the end of the Third Lab podcast. Again, I really appreciate you, my brother. Any last words that you want to share with the people before we log out?
1: Hey, I encourage everyone to find your why and find what motivates you and it's okay to just do small improvements on a daily uh, okay. basis. And, um, you know, we may not agree on everything, but, but please, you know, check out my website, reginalbimbo.com and learn more.
0: Go to the website. Reginaldbenbo.com. Y'all going, man. I'm going to promote it. It's going to be on social media. I'm going to bombard y'all with it. So y'all don't have a choice but to go. Um, follow him on socials. Connect with Reginald. You know, if you have any questions, connect with me. I can connect you with him if you can't figure it out. If y'all some, if y'all not as equipped with social media, I got you. I'll, I'll help you out. Um, but yeah, you know, Reggie, I, I, again, just am so excited and um, elated that you are in a position that you're in. You know, and you know, if you're again ever feeling as though, man, why am I doing this? Hit my line, brother. I'll talk to you. I'll re- I will remind you. If I gotta play this episode, I'm gonna just put the phone to the speaker, play the episode over. <laughs> there it goes. You know what I mean? Hit me up, man. You know, but keep doing this. The the work that you're doing, stay on the the mission and the pathway that you're on. Think about your grandparents who who you know passed away um, before their time. Arguably, you know, think about all the other people that have had similar life situations and circumstances, you know, our children, our communities deserve better. And I wholeheartedly believe that for the city of Baltimore, at the very least, you will bring that to that state, man. You will bring that to that city. And yo, I'm just, I'm geeked up, man. I need a, I need a, uh, I'm a change agent. I need a ready, I need a Reggie shirt, man. Send me the Reggie shirt. I'm gonna be Philly with the Reggie shirt on. Yes. I got you. (laughs) It's
1: on your way. Send me the address.
0: I got you, my brother. I appreciate you. Uh, And so everybody, listen, like Reggie said, find your legacy, find your purpose, find your vision, align yourself. That's why this podcast exists. That's why y'all listen to this. There are so many other things you could be listening to. Ratchet TV, so many foolish things. This ain't ratchet, this ain't foolish. These are gems on gems. These are people coming on here to share their experiences with you as they found their legacy, as they've dedicated their time and energy to changing the world, not just, you know, generally, but specifically even within themselves. And so, you know, as always, I challenge you all, find your legacy, find your vision. Like Reggie said, even if it's small steps, piece by piece. I started with one podcast. I now have two. These two podcasts will expand into other things. You just never know, right? But find your purpose, find your vision, live your life. We only got one of these things, man. Make every single day count. You know, if you ain't make it count yesterday, make today and tomorrow and every day from here on out, make them count. And so again, this is another episode of the Third Lap Podcast. I am your host, Mal Davis. Each one, teach one, we all learn together. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Third Lap Podcast. This is your host, Mal Davis. Please visit thethirdlappodcast.com for more information about the podcast, about our guests, and also to see our reading list. You can find us at the third lap podcast on linkedin and facebook at third lap on twitter and at third underscore lap underscore podcast on instagram if you know anyone that would be great to be featured on this show please reach out to our host mal davis he's always looking for interesting people to learn more about them and to talk about their pathway thank you so much again have a good one